With a business audience like that that we have here at the AI and Industry Podcast and on Tech Emergence, most of the people who we interview are either going to be the people selling services and applications that involve artificial intelligence, or they're going to be executives who, in specific industries and verticals, who purchase this technology. You can speak to the real use cases, the actual applications. It is useful from time to time, however, to garner the perspective of researchers. There are institutions dedicated entirely to moving the core field of artificial intelligence and machine learning forward. One such institute is called the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence, uh, founded by Paul Allen, of course, one of the original founders of Microsoft. This week on the Tech Emergence podcast, we're fortunate enough to have Dr. Henny Seji, who is a research scientist at the Allen Institute of uh, Artificial Intelligence, otherwise called AI2, because of the abbreviated version of that institution. Uh, previously a postdoc researcher at UC Irvine and a earned her doctorate studying uh, machine learning specifically and has been at the Allen Institute for a little bit over a year now. We speak today in the green room, the interview room, of the rework Autonomous Vehicles Conference about the developments in kind of core machine learning technology that need to be made and that research scientists are working on to further the applications of machine learning in autonomous vehicles. We also speak a little bit about medical applications. We talk about some of sort of the impact that might be had if machine learning itself is able to sort of push forward, overcome its own boundaries in terms of computational resources, overcome its own boundaries in terms of the limits of certain algorithms, um, and what kind of impact that might have in autonomous driving, uh, in medicine, and a little bit in the NLP realm as well. Interesting to see a researcher's perspective on what the coming decade of development might do across industries, and I hope that you guys will all find this interview helpful as well. This is Henny with the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. So, Henny, I wanted to ask first about, we're going to be going into kind of the general domain of machine learning, which is where you focus, the Allen Institute of AI, deep research into the kind of stuff that often startups can't really get to with their budgets and, and their their skill sets. When you have to explain the concept of neural networks, I think, in, to the business community, much of our listenership maybe has a deeper understanding. I know a lot of it has only kind of a business person's understanding. How do you try to articulate the concept of a neural net to somebody without that academic background to get why it's as powerful as it is? All right. So... In general, if we want to talk about what a neural net is, it's a processing system that is loosely modeled after neurons in human brain, meaning that it's made of these small devices that's called neurons, and they're very simple elements, and what happens with them is that it's very close to firing or not firing. They polarize the system, and then these neurons are organized in layers, so you have layers, which each of them is made of some neurons, then each neuron in different layers are connected to the layer before them and after them, and they have these weighted connections. The goal is that you model the patterns in your inputs such that these weights and this, this system of weights essentially uh, can capture the patterns in them. Neural networks essentially are universal approximators, and they capture associations and discover regularities within a set of patterns. And where you have the volume and number of your variables and the diversity of data is huge, neural net is vertical. And it can be the case that the relationship you have are vague or are 
much more complex than just a simple nonlinearity, and that's where power of neural networks come in. Um, the way you train them is essentially you get a feedback from the error you've made and you just force your weights such that it captures the regularities that you may not be aware of, but that the network then can actually capture that. Um, you used a couple terms here that I think are actually interesting and I'd like to dive a little bit into. When you said the relationships or the patterns of play are not a simple nonlinearity, Again, there's going to be some people who went to, you know, Wharton School of Pennsylvania, really smart folks, not so familiar with nonlinearity in, in terms of patterns. What do, what do you mean by that in the context of neural nets, something that's, that's not just a simple nonlinearity? So basically, you have these different layers, and each neuron has a nonlinear functionality. But if you put it in terms of a number of layers, then it's just not one of them. It's the big multiplication and a weighted sum of different things, which makes it a more complex um, function and also gives it more power to express relationships. Cool. And I, I think that probably my advice usually for business folks to get an understanding of artificial intelligence is to get an understanding of actual real world applications and see, hey, here's how this sort of works in machine vision. Here's how this sort of works in understanding text. Here's how this sort of works. And I think with enough of those examples, people start to get an idea of what could we use this for? What could we not? Do, do you often recommend a similar kind of uh, more imaginative understanding for folks that don't, aren't going to do the, the hard linear algebra? Um, so, okay, let me make, let me explain with like more details. Yeah, sure, sure. So basically neural nets learn by example. If you give them a number of examples of how a dog looks like, essentially they, they understand this is a pattern that a dog looks like. So then if you give them new samples, they could figure out if it's a dog or not. And also, like, when, when I say they learn layer by layer, it means that at different layers, they learn different structures of the pattern. So they start with more general yeah. patterns. And as they go along the layers, they understand these tiny differences and, like, more specific uh, patterns that is, like, for example, in the dog. Got it. Yeah, so different breeds of dog, for example, or right. the difference not just between a dog and a house, but maybe a dog and a cat, which are exactly. more, more nuanced differences. Exactly. Okay, got it. Yep. You know, the, the technology that, that you folks are working on is, again, a lot of kind of the core base technology of, of machine learning, which will inevitably, as these technologies develop and are published, uh, be leveraged by the companies in the Bay Area and, and all over the world. Um, you're already getting to see some of what you folks do kind of leave the lab and, and make an important difference. And before we started recording, you were talking a little bit about machine vision applications in vehicles. Um, what are you excited about in that area? I imagine there's some kind of pie-in-the-sky ideas about machine vision in autonomous vehicles that maybe aren't as realistic. There's probably some other ones that really have some great traction and that even hard researchers who know the science are, are pretty excited about. What, uh, what are you kind of optimistic about or what do you really like that you see now being applied in the um, machine vision space with vehicles? Um, I think um, there's been a lot of progress in machine vision and we could definitely learn patterns and also right now the amount of training we have is enough for a machine to drive in highways but if you have urban places then there's a lot more complex structures and that's the part that we currently don't have so I'm excited to see it pass beyond this barrier and actually make this happen. Huh. So yeah I mean people are familiar with their autopilot Tesla mode and, and whatever else you know uh parallel parking functionality and, and some of these very basic sort of sensor driven, you know, utility and autonomy. You mentioned an urban environment, you know, you wouldn't uh, 
you can't just lean back and put your hands behind your head in the middle of Boston and just say, take me home. Um, it doesn't, doesn't work like that just yet. What are some of the core areas where machine learning just hasn't quite gotten there? Is it mostly a data problem at this point in your opinion, or is there something about the base tech that we really got to crack in order to be able to, again, take your hands off the wheel in the middle of Boston or San Francisco and say, take me home 40 minutes away? Um, what's going to get us there, in your opinion? I think one element that we have is the training a neural network right now takes a lot of time. Yeah. And so, of course, you need data, but I think we have the data. It's a matter of timing. So there are two things that are interesting to have. One is that to come up with algorithms that train faster. And the other thing is that how do you change your algorithms such that they are implementable on small devices that have less that need they, they don't need to be gpus but like literally mm. like small handheld devices and um there's a startup that is a very recent one and actually their goal is to try to implement machine vision techniques on very small devices so that it may if that happens that helps a lot huh yeah so and now is that because i think a lot of people assume maybe in some way shape or form that you know, their, their Tesla is doing a lot of processing in the cloud and, and that that's where a lot of this happens. You're talking about uh, doing something locally without, you know, a huge warehouse full of GPUs, which for those of the folks who were tuned in who aren't familiar with GPUs, we did an interview with NVIDIA a while ago. NVIDIA is probably the best known company producing graphics processing units at this time, which are kind of like a certain kind of parallel processing that, that uh, works very well in the machine learning context. But you're talking about using maybe a CPU with, again, a lot less resources, a lot less power, a lot less processing ability to work with more effective algorithms to crunch and squeeze data and make the same kind of efficient decisions with, with less processing power. Is that important in vehicles because a lot of that brain power happens in the car? Is that the case? Is this why this is, is that one of the hindrances here? Is that a lot of the thinking of the vehicle as it tries to make its way home is done in the vehicle and not, you know, up in the cloud somewhere? Yeah, I agree. Got it. Okay. So now that seems like an awful difficult problem. In order to take, you know, a huge mass of data, distill it, um, right now obviously very resource intensive for machine learning. In order to do that with much less computing power, you mentioned more effective algorithms. That's the kind of base ground level machine learning research that a startup probably is not going to invest in because that is hard to do. In, in a laboratory where you might try to do that, is this going to be about just a ton of different trial and error and adjusting and tweaking of algorithms based on what you think is going to be able to kind of distill the same level of insights and trying, trying, trying again with huge data sets and kind of seeing what shakes out. How do you eventually get there? I think, so one line of research that we've, I've been working on with my colleagues is that try to come up with another algorithm that doesn't get stuck in local optimal. The reason that you need to go back and keep tweaking things is that currently people use backprop which is very prone to what initialization you do. So there is this work out of DeepMind that says if you have a bad initialization, you get stuck in bad places and you, could actually, you couldn't actually get there. So if you change your algorithm such that you could come up with good initialization or your algorithm doesn't suffer from that problem, then you essentially have less of that computation and that actually helps you. And that also, I think, translates to case of startup because... What happens is that if you have this problem, you keep doing reinitialization until you run out of your budget and you say, okay, this is as good as I can yep, get. Yep, yep. But if you don't have that problem, it essentially helps you. Hmm. And, and when you mention initialization, just for the folks tuned in, are we talking about the neural network sort of uh, attuning itself to the initial 
test set that you kind of send through it and, and sort of being biased thereby through the rest of the information that you put through it? Or what, what do you mean by initialization, just right. so people um, understand? So essentially, as I said, what we mean that by training a neural net is that we come up with the weights in these structures such that the structure follows the pattern you have. So you need to start from somewhere. You yeah. need to put some number yep, to yep, begin yep. with. And that's what I mean by initialization. Initialization, yep. Difficult tweaking and adjusting patterns nonetheless. But it sounds like some of, and of course, that kind of technology, being able to garner the same kind of insights uh, without the local minima or local optima, which anybody can Google if you're less familiar with the term, being able to do that on, on smaller hardware, more, I guess, computationally efficient hardware, we would say, Clearly, that would have ramifications vastly even outside of vehicles, but it's, it sounds like it's also going to be a pretty big part of making these individual machines smart on the road because we can't pack a whole data center into the trunk uh, for, for all of them. Okay, cool. In terms of forward-looking applications, we had chatted a little bit uh, before uh, we got started with the recording here about some of the work in uh, natural language and natural language understanding specifically. And I know that some of the general machine learning work that, that you're doing with the Allen Institute is is kind of leaning in that direction of natural language understanding. People are pretty familiar with Alexa. Um, you know, I think the commercials for Alexa are great, by the way. It's wonderful because, from a marketer's perspective, because they're showing a seamless, hey, everybody does this use case of speech interface. They're, they're not trying to say, hey, you can do this new thing. They're just saying, here's people living life and how handy and seamless and fun and funny and normal this is. And, ooh, that's so good. But, of course, it could be better. What are some of those areas where, right now, kind of technology and the approaches in natural language processing and understanding are, are sort of failing us, some of the, the, the roadblocks we've kind of nudged up against, in your opinion? So I think currently we, we are far from natural language understanding sure. when doing complex reasoning. And there are some components that needs to be improved such that we get better experience. One is that we have sparsity of data. So if you ha ask Alexa some questions that it hasn't heard before, so it has a hard time getting back to you. And also, there are some cases that you need the system to do reasoning with background knowledge. If I'm talking to you in a specific thing, like, like when two humans talk, essentially, they have this background knowledge that they use in their conversation. But if you're a machine, you need to learn how to bring in that background knowledge when it fits. The other thing is the time-bound component. If, if we chatted before, we have a sense of the data we have, we do, and, but it, when you start talking to a system, it needs to have that knowledge somewhere, and it doesn't need to start from scratch. And also when you refer to objects or people, uh, so that um, the reference clarification is something that is needed to be added to the system. Hmm, you use the term reference clarifications. I know there's all these interesting NLP terms like uh, entity identification and all, all these sort of yeah, all, all the, yeah disambiguation. All of these sort of these concepts that are like the PhD level version of like middle school grammar. It's like middle school grammar, but like really expanded upon in terms of what the science looks like. I always find it fascinating to learn NLP. It's like I, I feel like I'm in English class and math class at the same time. So just to put some color to these examples and maybe uh, wrap this interview up with, with some of the, the areas where this would really be able to improve our current technologies and experience, sparse data, you know, before we started recording, you mentioned some uh, questions that Alexa is not asked very often. So it might be, um, you know, 
hey, what do I put in this pancake recipe if I'm out of brown sugar or something? Here's the ingredients I'm using now. Here's the, you know, what do I put in this pancake? Alexa, the, the, number one, that doesn't get asked very often. If it, if it got asked enough times, they would have the right answer probably, but it wouldn't be understanding. It would just be the right answer. What that also brings to bear is this idea of reasoning and background knowledge that, that you were talking about. Alexa would need to know what, what kind of temperature, you know, are you using this kind of pan because you should be, you know, you can't cook eggs on that other kind of pan. Are you using the right? So the ability for Alexa to say, I want to answer your question, but I need this clarification first. That's the kind of, you know, if you're asking a person who's cooked before and they're looking at what you're cooking with, there's vision there. You don't have to get that background information. What, what does it look like to fill in those gaps? Eventually does Alexa have to have more sensors? Do we have to have you know, some kind of chemical smells, uh, chemical senses like smell integrated some in some way? Do we have to have vision in some way integrated to garner that background information? It seems like it'd be so hard to do by just plugging in facts to a machine. True. So if essentially, if you just wanted to ask for a recipe, that's easy for Alexa easy, to do. And, um, so what you need to do is to model these recipes in some sort of a knowledge that captures these interactions and timings. And also, it needs to understand the reasoning that if this element is taken out, what happens? So it, need, it needs to be added, this background knowledge of the interactions of different things and what things are close to each other. So those are things that are doable with machine learning, with deep learning. But essentially, as you said, there are some parts of our general knowledge and background knowledge that comes from vision. So what is really interesting and needed is to bring in natural language processing and vision and other kinds of things in place. So for example, if you're talking with different tones, like speech analysis, that's also important because um, not for this case of recipe, but if you're asking it different questions, if it understands your tone and how you feel, it might be the case that it can actually help you. But of course, with recipes, it's a different story. Yeah. It seems like um, we would have to, you mentioned, you know, we'd have to model the ingredients and what happens in these different environments. We would have to have so much data about recipes and interactions of ingredients and temperatures and, and oils and pans. And what's curious is in one way that almost feels like any other, you know, data security, we're taking in a gajillion examples and finding distinct cases and acting on them and, and kind of understanding threats and non-threats in a security environment. Uh, in vehicles, we're, we're assessing all of this sensor data and all this GPS data and all this LIDAR data and whatever else. And those are big, super important questions where there's a lot of hardware being put to work to make sure that big goals get met. Recipes, sure, there's a big market for recipes, but there isn't as much concerted super effort to drink in the world's data about recipes like there is about vehicles. So it seems like there's going to be some areas, if they're not as mission critical, the core knowledge, the core reasoning, to use your term, really won't be arising in those areas or maybe it would be very difficult to arise in those areas that we're not marshalling huge resources towards. Right. So to get to the point, I agree that essentially application drives this, but one of the core problems that machine vision people are working at is that how can you teach a machine to understand these processes when it watches a video? And these are what we call unsupervised learning, yeah. meaning that I don't give you label for every single thing. And the next big thing, which has been more a big thing, but it really it's really needed these days more than ever, is that we improve our understanding of unsupervised learning. 
So the machine would understand these processes given a video or like different things such that it can actually bring in what you need so that you don't need for every single application to go back and give a lot of data. And And that's like really important. That's holy grail level stuff, right? I mean, the, the, the general learning machine, it's like, well, you know, yeah, we're building kind of like this glorified super congealed box of hyper-labeled cuisine and cooking stuff. Sure, we could do that. And Alexa could be the smartest cook in the world. It would take us a bunch of years. We'd have to have sensors in a million kitchens. But eventually we could get there. But I guess what you're saying is eventually we would want, you know, the machines, if exposed to enough circumstances of that, to to be able to kind of get it without saying, this is an omelet. Without saying, yeah. Exactly. That's what you're... Well, when you figure that one out, definitely we'll we'll have you back on the podcast. (laughs) For sure. Really appreciate your insights with this interview. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.